I'm Alka Kurian, host of the new podcast South Asian Films and Books. I'm also a faculty at the University of Washington Bothell, teaching film, literature, gender and human rights. In this first season of South Asian Films and Books, I'm going to look at how South Asian writers and filmmakers explore some of the major issues and help us make sense of the world that we inhabit. From politics to culture, each episode looks at a topic that impacts and shapes the lives of people living in South Asia and its diasporas. This is South Asian Films and Books, an original podcast broadcast from Seattle. Subscribe to new South Asian Films and Books as soon as possible so you don't miss a single episode. My guest today is Dr. Geeta Jayaraman, a former journalist and a filmmaker who teaches film practice at the Film and Culture Lab, Newcastle University in the United Kingdom. She's a director, scriptwriter and producer of a range of documentaries. Geeta produced the award-winning documentary Algorithms and she wrote a prize-winning script for a certain slant of light which won the 2008 Gothenburg International Film Festival's Development Fund. Geeta's debut feature film Ran Kalyani has won numerous awards including the Kolkata International Film Festival Award, the Trishur International Film Festival Award, New York International Film Festival Award, Yellowstone International Film Festival Award, Montreal South Asian Film Festival Award, Cincinnati International Film Festival Award, and the list is endless. Welcome to the podcast, Geeta. Thank you, Alka. Thank you very much for for this invitation. I have been going through your podcast and it's really amazing the uh, range of uh, writers and artists that you have been speaking to. and it's really a fantastic collection i think thank you so much and it's such a pleasure to have you be on my podcast so let's talk about ran kalyani it's a huge achievement for you you know you won so many awards what's the film about and how did you respond to this wonderful recognition that you had for the film ran kalyani is uh, about kalyani a young cook who is taking care of her ailing aunt in her house and then she goes to work uh, in two other houses two middle class households and one is a flat where a man lives a government employee lives alone and the other is a joint family where there is a married woman with whom the man in the flat is having a relationship and kalyani becomes a kind of conduit for that relationship so we see the lives in her own house and in the two households that she goes to through kalyani's eyes so ran kalyani is about all of these people but mainly about these three characters and how they are trapped within a sense of duty a sense of what has got to be done a sense of uh, you know being in the present and so on and how they actually finally break through from that and the film has had an absolutely amazing international success the audience across the world have loved your film as is evident by the number of awards that you have won so far and the film is screening at multiple places as we speak how did you respond to this amazing success that the film garnered all i can say is that it is hard work absolutely hard work we have been struggling with this film as even in terms of production it's an independent production there is still not money out there in the industry for these kind of films so it's a typical indie production and once it gets 
completed, then as independent filmmakers, we rely on film festivals to get the film out there and to generate a kind of interest in the film. Because once you make a film, it has to be seen. So initially, we had a lot of disappointments. The most vicious one being the my own you know, state's uh, International Film Festival of Kerala, which is very well known. And uh, it was not selected in the festival. We were hoping to premiere it there. But parallelly, it was selected to the Kolkata International Film Festival, where it won the award and the journey began there. So it was, it's a kind of mix for us, right, from the very beginning. It's uh, both happiness as getting the film out there, as well as, you know, having to deal with disappointments. But that's not something new for independent filmmakers and certainly not new for women who have been working in this field. We deal with disappointments. We deal with, you know, rejections all our lives. So I think we are capable of getting over it and moving on and running forward, which is what Ran Kalyani has been doing. And also it points to Ran Kalyani is also from Kerala. It's a very Kerala film in that sense. So it, all, all of these reactions to Ran Kalyani also points to what the film is dealing with, which is the kind of um, almost uh, unrecognized patriarchy within the very progressive kind of milieu that Kerala has. film is replete with parallels and routines. For example, we see the parallel between the opening of the film and the closing shot of the film. There are these similar sounds of early morning prayers. We see the same people. We go down the same streets. We see the same houses, the same wall art, etc. What made you choose this structure? See, women's lives are always patterned in the sense that there is a repetition in all that we do, even though it's not repetitive. So day in and day out, we are bound by things that have got to be done. It's our responsibility. We have a duty to do it. This kind of a pattern of our day-to-day life, whether it's monotonous or not monotonous, whatever it is, this pattern is something that I've been wanting to express and express visually. So that's when the cyclical narrative structure came into being. And cyclical is also interesting because I find feminine narratives very cyclical. It's there almost in our body. We have a sense of time more palpable than for our male friends, I think. So there is a sense of the cyclical. There is a sense of time. There is a sense of uh, roundedness in the way we live and the way we do our things. And that's the thing that I wanted to bring in the film. It's a patterned film in that sense. It has a pattern of four days that happen in the same way again and again. It starts with Kalyani getting up and it ends with her finishing all her work and retiring back in her little room. So that pattern is repeated four times. But now life is not always a repetition. So that would make us all puppets. We are not. All of us have an element of agency in us. And that's what happens by the time you reach the fourth day, that things don't remain the same. Things change in very, very small ways as each day goes forward till you reach the final day when the whole thing becomes a big change. And I really think that's what happens in life to everybody, not just women, to everybody. But this is portrayed from the point of view of the women. 
talk a little bit about the characters in the film. You show a beautiful bond between Kalyani and her aunt. But other than that, we don't have a backstory for Kalyani. Her parents or what her background is. It's only in her imagination that she travels back in time and sees them. Why is that the case? Actually, you don't get the backstory of any character. And there is really no need to because you understand all of the characters as they are. So you could say that this comes out of my years of training and years of experience in observational documentary especially working with my uh, husband and collaborator Ian Magdanol who works purely on observational documentaries. So years of working with him has kind of given me a sense of extracting a story out of the moment. So you can capture the moment in a particular way that gives you the complete backstory. I mean you don't really need to know more than what is shown at that particular moment. So you don't really miss anything. you don't miss the fact that who is kalyani you know she's a cook she's living with her aunt she has a strong bond and there's a hint that her parents are dead and so on and similarly you go to the other characters you know what they are if you if you can get all the hints that are given to you throughout the film for instance nirmala she studied medicine you get that out of a comment that is hurled at her by her husband and you know that the character of vijayan is a government employee and he's uh, living uh, in this posh flat only because he's living for free in his cousin's flat so that comes out in a comment what you need to know to understand the character a little more is given in the film uh here and there but apart from that you don't know what they did yesterday and did they do this did they do that and they don't explain nobody explains themselves in the film if you look at majority of our films half the time people are explaining what they are thinking what they are doing most of our films are like that so this is the difficulty filmmakers like us have as well because we are trying to visually give you an experience and we are not really bombarding you with information about the characters the characters are not explaining their action to you their past to you we just ask you to enter their world make sense of their world and go back the more you know about films the more, because there's a lot of intertextuality you will know the film better the more you know about kerala you may know the film better the more you know about women's struggles you may know the film better but it's not really necessary even otherwise you will understand what the film is so there is a kind of simplicity to the film which is probably one of the most difficult things to do as a filmmaker to bring that element of simplicity in a very very complex story mm-hmm. i completely agree with you talk about the man in kalyani's room which is the only person that is really mysterious absolutely when it came to this man in the attic that's a twist of the woman in the attic by the way so i said i'm not going to hold on to this character i'm just giving the character to the audience to make sense of as they wish there is only one hint that i am giving because in the end when kalyani leaves the house he's not there but otherwise it is up to the audience to imagine this character as they want and it is very interesting each audience reacts to this story and to this man in the attic from their own life experience and from their own cinematic experience in kolkata i was amazed how many of the people in press conference remembered megata kathara and something that never struck me that he could be a younger brother like in megata kadara wanting to be a writer wanting to be an artist wanting to be something and the sister going out and dealing with the world working earning and coming back so this is the 
the cinematic culture in which that audience grew up in and that's what they immediately connected because there is a freedom with that character you are free to connect it to whoever you want to it could be a lover it could be a launcher it could be um, imaginary and of course if you ask me i would say a projection because even to talk about wanting to make a film is sometimes a taboo for a woman unless you're desperate to become an actress which is a different thing but in terms of making and so on so it's a world that has got a tinge of you know all kinds of problems and all kinds of anti woman things going on and so maybe it's her maybe she wants to tell stories who knows but but it's up to the audience really fascinating right in thinking that except for kalyani most of the women appear to be domesticated while the public spaces are occupied by men who like sentries appear to be guarding the different worlds that kalyani straddles you know you have the madman the driver the watchman the musician etc yes i i totally agree with the second part of your comment i mean i didn't quite think of it like that but yes it's there in the film what you say the public sphere is full of men if you come to kerala today and if you go to the main road and see where you know we have a secretariat which kalyani passes by the way in one of her walks it's full of boys who are on on some on strike uh, so you'll find that the majority of our public spaces are majorly populated with men it's like the women managed to find a way you know of uh, crawling and you know going uh, hiding or something and i don't know they're just not there maybe the difference is that today you will have a women's march and then you'll have lots of women in it but if you take a normal day in a usual routine day you, you won't find women in the street so i i just wanted that uh, sense of the men in the street as well it's also who is kalyani noticing there's a sense of a class ally also there so the people that she notices are people like the madman in the street the driver who's trying to eye her i mean she pretends that she doesn't see him and then there is the musician whom she has a soft corner for and that's a very very traditional uh, instrument that he's playing the nadaswaram and the security guard the old security guard giving way because he was sleeping all the time giving way to the new security guard so these are the things that kalyani notices so kalyani's look is very much picking up these characters in the street about women they are all positioned inside the domestic space of the house but are they domesticated is a i think slightly different question if you take kalyani's aunt who is bedridden there is a hint that she was a dancer the last thing that kalyani takes with her is a photo of her aunt who's a dancer and when she leaves the house you get the sound of the anklet in the background score how that is introduced and when she remembers when the aunt in the very beginning you have the sound of music and and dance coming in so that itself immediately 
you know, shows her as a different kind of uh, person who's now paralyzed and in the bed. And then you have elder daughter-in-law in the rich house. Now, she's, a, for me, a very interesting character. She's probably like most women that we know. And we think that they are really domesticated and very submissive and so on. I think domesticated may be correct, but they are not submissive. And they pretend to be submissive. And I know many, many women like that. How women negotiate patriarchy. So different women negotiate patriarchy in different ways. And now most of the youngsters are really slapping patriarchy on, on their face. Uh, but there are many women of the previous generation, especially, who negotiated very cleverly. So for me, uh, Chitra, the elder daughter-in-law, is something I've seen in my life where women will pretend it is their husband's decision, but actually they have taken the decision. But they know for it to have the right effect, whether it is in front of the children or whether it is in front of the officer or whether it is in front of somebody who comes to do some work in their house, they'll always say, sir said this, sir said that, father said this, father said that. They would put the whole thing on the male head, but it's actually what they want to get done quickly. So I can't be bothered to deal with all this patriarchy and stuff. I'll just speak their language and get it done with. So lots of women do that. And for me, that's why I put Chitra, the elder daughter-in-law, in that position. She's very much in the domestic space. She's very much a mother, only interested in her daughter and getting her a good job and in her son and, and to keep him in control. So she uses the father. Father said you can go. Father said you can't go kind of thing. But she's the one very much in control of that domesticated space. But she's in control. The second daughter-in-law, Nirmala, she's the most interesting character in the sense that she hardly reacts. And, and I, I did a lot of research on women uh, who are abused within the household of that particular, you know, class and so on. She's educated, she's beautiful, she, everything, but she is unable to get out of that house and that relationship till it reaches a point, you know. And, but she's the one who finally gives that slap to him. And if you take Malayalam cinema, I don't know about Indian cinema, maybe Indian cinema, but certainly Malayalam cinema, it's the first slap from a wife to a husband in Malayalam cinema. This film? Yes. There was a screening in Trivandrum in a film society and there was a professor from a college. She said that this is the first slap and she also said that this is like a doll's house where you know the door is slammed and walking or she said this is this slap for her felt like that a slap to patriarchy and that was before the film covered and all that oh, anyway right. so <laughs> i mean we didn't realize that in fact it came organically out of that scenario that slap was not there originally in the script that's interesting mm-hmm. so the film would have had a very different ending no the ending was always going to be that but that actual slap. See, this is an interesting thing about film. Sometimes many things happen in casting. So when you cast a particular kind of uh, actor or actress for your film, it changes. They bring something of their own into the film. It's not completely, you know, what the director has in their head or completely what the writer has written down. I mean, it's truly a collaborative art. You have so many other things coming in creating meaning to the material. 
sometimes we forget we think the actor just reflects what what the director wants or reflects what the script is all about the actors bring in their own kind of what do you call life into the film and their being because it's a physical art right they're physically present so their physicality also you know influences how the character is for instance if you take nirmala's character initially we were going to cast somebody else who was much more fragile looking and much more delicate looking than meera the actor who was actually cast in the film meera has a passive strength in her and that that comes across in the in the film a kind of passive aggressive kind of feel comes from meera which was not there in the original woman that we were thinking of uh, casting that didn't happen she couldn't come and then we had to find a new actor and that's how we found meera and meera was um, shooting but as we shot i realized that i mean me and uh, ian we discuss a lot with ajit uh, who's editor and madhu who's a cinematographer the four of us discuss a lot and we realized that this nirmala would slap her husband at some point push to the extreme she would retaliate physically she would retaliate not just walk away which is what the other woman was doing so the end to the film would have been the same she would have walked away but she wouldn't have walked away with a slap whereas this nirmala gives a slap and walks away that's what the actor brings sometimes to the film sometimes how they bring what i call in dance you say astai baba that each character has a basic emotion every person portrays a certain kind of emotion and that's a very very crucial moment a very important contribution of the actor actually according to my interpretation of the film the men even though they have this very visible presence in the public space and dominate the public space and men are apparently quite domineering even within the domestic space i get the feeling that the men in your film are also portrayed as emasculated and inadequate for example the father is left all by himself he plays chess by himself tara doesn't really care about her husband and you explain very beautifully you know how she uses patriarchy to serve her own purpose and the only way that nirmala's husband can assert himself is through violence so talk a little bit about that yeah i mean we tend to think that uh, especially in in women's uh, films which often tend to become issue based we have this strong violent men who dominate the women and crush them down and so on this is a kind of narrative we are used to they all have this macho male characters and sometimes it's not one it's four of them i mean really if you look at the last 10 years of uh, malayalam cinema and the amount of posters that come out with four men i mean they may not be the same you know pant and suit clad like they were in the 70s wars 80s uh, they may not be i mean they may be very down to earth and wearing a lungi and a tone shirt maybe but it's the same masculine look macho look that they give to the camera usually it's for men i don't know why and so whether you take mainstream cinema whether you take parallel cinema whether you take uh, independent cinema everywhere you can see it this kind of ferocious looking posters so for me it was just to you know be more down to earth with these characters 
who are these uh, men that we are dating? So it's not the individual men who, who is the problem. The problem is really uh, patriarchy, which is expressed through these individual men. And these individual men sometimes are really not even that ferocious, really. But yet they have the power to keep women in control or in a certain structure. So that's the kind of men I see around me, really. I mean, if you take Vijayan, for instance, he's a typical, what we call a government employee, very well-versed and very soft-spoken and progressive. And he's listening to KPSC song. And I'm an absolutely sweet guy, a dreamy kind of guy. There are so many such guys around and that's the guy I wanted to portray. But if you go by, like, like you said, when you said emasculated, if you go by this highly masculine macho narrative, of course he's not... He, he'll come across as a not at all a masculine kind of guy. So he's a very pavam, we say, pavam type guy. And um, the old father, there's a hint that he must have been once upon a time the kind of guy that you, you just mentioned. He must have been a very, very strong guy. Because if you, if you see, there's only one line that he tells his uh, son, younger son, that you should have treated her with a little more softness or, or something like that so he knows he knows what his younger son is doing but so he's a kind of age age mellows men so he's a mellowed man he knows that his own power is gone and obviously this is a class that is uh, once upon a time landed and moving towards a capitalist mode of production you can see from the father to the younger son you can see the transition so he's a man who's lost his land and his sons are now, i mean his younger son especially is making grounds with business. So it's, it's that kind of a milieu. As you follow Kalyani's journey from home to work and vice versa, on either side of the streets, we see posters and wall art and graffiti of political leaders and warriors and people protesting and their red flags and the sickle and the hammer, etc., And the portrayal of the milieu of the film, I believe it shows three types of Keralas or three types of Indias on the one hand. And as you mentioned, you have this capitalist, ambitious, get rich, quick, impatient, Western centric people. That's the one category. Then you have this anti-capitalist, old worldly people with finer sensibilities idealistic and unhurried. And finally, you have this hardworking, industrious, working class people like Kalyani, whose lives are literally regulated by the watch. So how did you think about building this milieu and how is all of this significant for us to understand the story? See, the streets that you see that Kalyani walks, someone asked me, why are you showing the same bit of the road every day? And I said, this is exactly for you to remember, because if I just showed it once, it would be like a cutaway and you would never remember. But now you've asked me these questions it's because you've seen it three times. Three times you've seen her walk that way. Three times you've seen her walk this way. So you remember all the things that you see. And for me, it was important that you see that because this is Kerala for you. This is Trivandrum for you. That's the very documentary kind of shots that you see there. There's nobody and nothing except Kalyani who is a fictional character. Oh, well, of course, I have placed the madman there and I've placed the musician here, but the rest are all there in the real street. It's not a set. 
And that is important for you to understand the place where all of this is happening. And then you have three kinds of houses. So the architecture of the three houses are also very, very important, especially the flat and the big house. The flat is very minimalist, but the house is a very eclectic, rich house and all kinds of crazy things are that house. And they do symbolize in, in a certain way, the uh, younger brother's desire to become global, be part of a global capitalist uh, milieu. And he is hardworking, but he's hardworking towards that, which, which is what he tells his wife. I mean, when I, I'm working so hard, I've got so many pressures. So I may slap you in, in between that, but, but you have got to understand me. So I'm doing it for the family. That, that's his logic. And he's trying to become something in this capitalist order. And that is um, not something we can wish away or we can, uh, you know, think is per se bad and condemn. It's a reality. You're seeing so many people educated in that way, thinking about their future in that way, thinking this is success, you know, reaching sometimes breaking point in their own lives in that way. That is one of the realities of Kerala. We are seeing it here. We are seeing it all over the world, but we are seeing it here too. Then you see, as you said, there is the anti-capitalist. Kerala is, I don't know, some people say it's the last bastion of the left. I hope not. I mean, we have a communist government here. So there is an anti-capitalist, popular kind of movement here. But we cannot say it's not patriarchal. And this is the riddle of Kerala. So many things coexist in us. And the fact that there is a deep-rooted patriarchy and conservatism inside even the most progressive of people is something that we have to deal with. And women, because they have not been part of the main narratives of history, it's easier for women to be outside these structured ways of being, the capitalist, anti-capitalist and so on. You are out of it. You have your own set of work and your own set of uh, things that have got to be done. And this is the thing I think that we have really lost right from, you know, early days. And I mean, like Engels said, it's the private property and everything that has created all these things. But women have been dealing with uh, the family. We have been dealing with the community and have been dealing with uh, raising the next generation of people and working hard. They have been working all their lives through the centuries. So it's these women who really are taking society forward. The rest are things that you really have to fix, I feel. This whole, you know, production and how we deal with it. I mean, I'm not an economist, so I can't talk about it. So I think that that is why I think it is possible for women to articulate certain things. It is possible for women to bring a certain amount of solidarity, which cuts across many things, religion, caste, class, and so on, all man-made things, and dream about something better to give your next generation, which is what the women is always thinking about or programmed to. I mean, I don't know if that is the right way to say it, but yeah. I think it is. You're right about that. Talk about this house, the middle class or the upper middle class house that you show in the film where Kalyani goes, the rich house. To me, it came across as a house of illusions because I felt that, and I wondered whether it was deliberate, I felt that people and objects were getting reflected in, on different surfaces. For example, in mirrors, you see Nirmala, you know, there are lots of mirrors in her bedroom. There are mirrors all across the house. 
And as Kalyani is walking into the house, her body gets reflected on this very shiny surface and there are several such surfaces. So was it on purpose, this house of illusions? See, I told you that, you know, sometimes you work with the actor that you have cast and you develop the things that, you know, that the actor can project more than what you may originally have thought. The same goes for a location. And actually 70% of the house, or maybe even 80% of the house is exactly as it is. We, we have not done anything to it, but just a little bit of cosmetic changes, that's all. So you choose the right house, you choose the right actor. So again, that is very, very important. Once we chose this house, and then it's of course the brilliance of the cinematographer. So this is why I say it's collaborative. The cinematographer sees things more than you about how this particular house can fit the narrative that this script is talking about. So it's not deliberate. We didn't go about setting up a thing, okay, uh, this house should have lots of mirrors and should have lots of reflections. We didn't, like I said right at the beginning, we are an independent production. We didn't have lots of budget for production design and you know, set design and you know, have an empty house and fill it up with things that will reflect exactly what we want. But instead we chose a house that had all of these things already in it. And then you add just a little bit here and there to make it exactly and move things a little bit here and there to reflect your characters. But as a cinematographer, Madhu Neelakandan is a well-known cinematographer and has been able to catch the possibility of uh, what the house was providing in his uh, frames. Then it just followed that grammar. Once you get that, then the grammar follows actually, and then you get the whole visual language of that house. I mean, what you said is right, absolutely right. What you see is not what you get. That's the kind of illusion that the house represented. There are very few films that center the point of view of a working class woman. In this case, we have Kalyani, who's the cook. And as she straddles the various social classes, it is through her point of view that we see people's living spaces, their lives, their traumas, the cracks within the middle class family and everything. So why did you want to offer this clearly feminist perspective and her point of view? See, we grow up, you know, without who do we see? Our mothers cooking for us, feeding us. And you grow up thinking that's not work. You know, I've gone through a phase that all of us, I think all of us girls have gone through where you don't value what your mother does, but you value what your father does, especially if your mother is not going out and working. And even if she's going out and working, I, I have friends who had mothers who used to go out and work, but they still expected their mother to be exactly what my mother was, who was sitting at home and working all the time. This you take for granted as you go. And it's only much later on that, you know, when your consciousness develops and so on, that you start thinking of how you have been looking at your mother, how you've been at, at your friend's mothers, all of them. You just took them for granted. You took their work for granted. So that sense of nurturing food and nurturing is something that you don't give any importance to when you grow up. So for me, it was a kind of, when I made my first film, it was a, I wouldn't say thank you, but it was at least recognizing that that is work. You know, I've seen my mother do it. I've seen my grandmother do it. I've seen my aunts do it. I've seen my neighbors do it. I've seen my friends, mothers do it. I've seen cooks who come and do it. I mean, it's across all classes. The lower class you go, they do it in multiple places. 
the upper class, you go probably they do it only in their own houses. And we do the same work day in, day out. You get up, make coffee for everybody, make breakfast, make lunch, make dinner. Next day, does it change? No, you start again. This is something that we have to take into account. We have not taken this into account at all. We try to say, oh, that's not work. It's work. It's very, very important work that is being done. So for me, that is something that I want, the idea of the cook. Now, and then I thought, okay, we tend to think that cooking is something old people do. I mean, it's not. Even young girls cook. So I wanted to bring a young cook going to other houses. From a filmic point of view, a cook is very, very interesting character because you can see other houses through their eyes. Because they actually go into other people's houses and they know everything that is happening in the house. And very rarely do they talk much. They, they are very quiet people and they go about their work. They know exactly everything that's happening in that house. Who better? Because if there are five people in that house wanting five kinds of food, the cook will know that. And that reflects something of the character of the five characters also who want these five different kinds of food. So the cook understands the characters. She understands who wants this oily snack, for instance, in, in that house. Kalyani comes and keeps that oily snack. And when the elder son comes and no, he's not supposed to eat that, but he's eating it. So she knows that. And she knows that when she goes to Vijayan's house and he, he's a health fad and he wants, you know, all boiled vegetables and the soup and these kind of things. So that kind of uh, food she makes for him. In her own house, she's making idli, which is the most common kind of breakfast item in a house where there's not much money anyway. So that kind of it allows a filmmaker to give an insight into the characters and into the house in a way without saying anything. So the cook is very interesting character. The cook is a very shadowy figure, a figure who goes here and there and moves around in a way that you wouldn't notice. So if you remember that uh, showdown that uh, Nirmala has with her husband, Kalyani is walking behind. Up and down she's walking and the big fight is happening between the husband and wife. I mean, that's why I wanted it to be a young cook, a working class young cook. And they are our future. The working class women, young women are our future. If they don't break the existing structures of oppression and forge something new, I don't know who is going to. So clearly it's a feminist film that you make from a woman's an independent woman who knows her mind. So her point of view is centered and foregrounded. She's an independent young woman who doesn't want to be rescued through marriage as is made very clear. So two questions. First of all, do you think there's a shift in cinema where there is a move towards foregrounding characters that have previously been marginalized? And at the same time, while she's an independent woman, while she has her own agency, her own point of view, this final act of benevolence that guarantees her freedom, do you think it undermines her agency, undermines her spirit, or does it undermine a feminist spirit? It's a very interesting question. The second one, I mean, I'll, I'll answer the second one first. For me, the giving away of the gold, her jewelry, Nirmala's jewelry to Kalyani, for me, it's not an act of benevolence because that relationship is not there between Nirmala and uh, Kalyani. For me, it's more an act of uh, solidarity, more an act of equalizing, you may say, being indebted. 
Nirmala is indebted to Kalyani for being able to break free. To a certain, it's also reclaiming jewelry because of this whole thing of you know when dowry is given and the gold is given and and in most households even today, most households they may not say it is dowry. The educated people will not say it is dowry. I mean we are now so progressive we won't use that word, uh, but it will come in some other form. And invariably the household will use it in some form. So it's a kind of where the woman is saying this is mine. and the only thing that is nirmala's in that house is her jewelry which her parents gave her so nothing else is hers in that house so it's that that she's giving to kalyani so it's almost a maternal gesture cutting across class and cutting across family and going from woman to woman a sisterhood a kind of sisterhood but almost maternal where she takes her jewelry the only thing that is hers and giving it to kalyani before she goes what made nirmala leave that house is i mean the role of kalyani in that is very very important so there is a kind of a, a alliance there between uh, nirmala vijayan and kalyani if you notice those three characters speak the least in the film kalyani vijayan and nirmala but they are the three characters who are trapped and they are the three characters who exercise their agency and they are the three characters who break free so it's that alliance between the three of them so it it's not so much benevolence but more a solidarity a gesture of solidarity a, ge- a gesture of helping each other out in whatever way you can whatever is possible for you and do you think there's a shift in malayalam cinema are more people foregrounding marginal characters in particular female marginal characters i think of late there have been a few films that are dealing with women in a way that was not there before and i also read a couple of articles that this has been attributed to the me too movement and so on that after that there has been a, a certain sense of rethinking women characters and so on but i still think that we tend to do very issue based kind of films when it comes to women there's nothing wrong with that but that's the kind of filmmaking that is there yeah There is a shift, yes. And in terms of the kind of conversation that Nirmala and Vijayan have through those letters, they're exchanging poetry. Could you talk a little bit about what kind of poetry do they write to each other? This is a key point actually because somebody somewhere somebody asked i mean why would they write poetry in this age of uh, you know mobile phones and so on and and for me i i found that very funny because the very gesture of writing the very gesture of taking up paper and a pen and penning down something and passing it on to another person has a physicality and materiality which is uh, very romantic and this is the only thing that actually connects the two characters you never see them together in the film you never see nirmala and vijayan together so in the end it's kalyani who puts the two notes together and it's the only time they both really kind of meet when the two notes get together so that is important and as for the poems they are not writing letters to each other as some people have misunderstood but like you said it's poetry poetry that's already there they are not poets they are writing poetry to each other it's like a, a little game they are playing to each other and uh, 
One of the things about Kerala is that, you know, most of the great writers have been translated into Malayalam. And Malayalam is one of the first Indian languages to which all these epic novels, great poetry, and even Karl Marx and everybody has been translated into first. So I wanted to talk about an average kind of progressive uh, government employee and the kind of poems he might be reading, which might surprise somebody out there, but it's so normal for a Kerlite because he's reading Mykowiski. The first poem that you hear is a Russian poem. It's uh, Mykowiski. And the second poem that he reads is Spanish one, Lorha. And the third is my own contribution because I found this Chinese poem and asked Ian's uh, Chinese student to translate it. And uh, we got it translated to Malayalam. So that's not a translated poem, but he's a well-known poet in China. And I wanted to take three romantic poems of three revolutionary poets. Because there is a sense that revolutionary poems are not um, romantic, maybe, but I feel that romantic poems are revolutionary. So these are the three romantic poems, one from Russia, one from Spain, and one from China, that the Vijayan character sends to Nirmala, Mayakovsky, Lorca, and Jan Jimombo. And these are three international poets, right? And Nirmala replies with two Indian women poets. One is Andal and one is Mirabai. And both of them are bhakti poets, one from North and one from South of India. And I wanted that earthiness and passion that is there in these women bhakti poets. It's kind of like an in-joke, you could say. So while uh, Vijayan is uh, sending her these international revolutionary poets and all those things to her, she's replying with these earthy, passionate lines of the female bhakti poets of uh, India. There are critics who have read things into how the pen and the ink and the paper and the absorption. Of course, that's all uh, visually there for you to interpret uh, as you as you like. How do you choose your cast and crew? Where did you shoot the film? And how did you choose the music? I mean, the film is completely shot in Trivandrum, except the last shot when, when you see the wind uh, turbines and so on, that is in the outskirts, but everything else is in the city, in Trivandrum, in Kerala, in India. 90% of the actors and crew are from Trivandrum. And that was uh, go governed by the fact that we had very little fun. We didn't have lights either. Since we didn't have lights, we didn't shoot in the night. So it was a kind of film that by come six o'clock, seven o'clock, every day evening, pack up, all of you go to your house. We can't afford hotel stays. It's a very, very strict kind of uh, filmmaking it was. Now, in terms of Kalyani, Kalyani is a, is a fine. Gargi Anandan is a fine. Uh, this is her first film. She's done a couple of short films, but she's a school of drama product. We have a school of drama in Trishur in Kerala. She's just finished her course there and she was writing her final exams I and mean, she was doing a dissertation play I think when we called her and she responded to a call and contacted us because we didn't have the time to ask her to come and go and all those kind of things and then we just sent her two pages we asked her to enact two pages and send it to us which she did and then I just told her to come it was literally one week before the film that we got Kalyani in casting that's what you do in casting you pick up the right kind of 
look when you say look it's not beauty or anything like that it's not whether somebody is tall or short maybe that is important for certain characters but what is really important in casting for me is tai baba that when a person is presented to you immediately what is the emotion coming out of that person what is the feel coming out of that what is the attitude coming out of that person so it is easy to work on that then easy to bring out certain elements in that actor so this is the kind of thing that happens when you cast actors and you work with them on a role and how it slightly ever so slightly changes the representation of a particular character as from when it is written down the rest of the characters were some of them we knew friends and people we know and some of them uh, we had to find like nirmala but the interesting thing is i mean there's a joke going around that if you walk around geeta in a set long enough she'll rope you into act in the film so there are lots of people in the film who are from the crew like for instance the young boy who blushes his father comes with him as a suitor for kalyani that young boy is our makeup boy <laughs> the older security guard rasi i mean he's a well known set designer uh, he's made his own film which showed in uh, new york festival and so on oh so, wow yeah so <laughs> we just said you have the perfect face for a lazy security <laughs> stuff come and sit here and that was it so sometimes you just go by the perfect look this is what i said the basic emotion the basic attitude that is there in a person on how you can work with that you know somebody has a very shy i mean that make a boy had a very shy smile and he would blush when you talk to him and i said that's all we need for this character <laughs> he just has to be himself just come there and blush and he was blushing throughout because he couldn't believe he was acting in the film yeah so it's a combination of experienced actor especially the elder daughter daughter in law and the elder son and of course the father madhusar I mean, Madhusur is a legend. He's a legend in Malayalam cinema, and it's very fortunate that we got him. He's a very, very senior superstar, Mammootty of those days. He's eighty plus, and he just got it like that when he told him that he's an eccentric old man who's playing chess against himself. So that was perfect for for him and for us. Then you had Nandu and Tara, who are like experienced actors. Nirmala and her husband. Manoj who did the role of Raghavan came with his daughter to ask us if his daughter would be suitable for Kalyani she was too young so we couldn't have cast uh, his daughter in fact she is in the film she says one word what in the film if you notice so Manoj came with his daughter but we looked at him and we said would you mind auditioning for the uh, for the role of Raghavan he, and he's never acted before and he said okay and he he did it and it was perfect so both of them are newcomers Nirmala and Raghavan. Mm-hmm. Who's Kalyani? Uh, Kalyani's aunt. I don't know if you know Premji, who is this very famous uh, theatre legend, and he acted in Shahji and Karun's uh, Piravi. She's Premji's daughter, and that's a very difficult role to do because she's just lying on the bed throughout for an independent film, and this was uh, something new because we had an ensemble cast. This was twenty-seven characters. there is no extra in the film every person has the madman for instance every person has a role that they have to do and the musician was my production executive i mean it is a very very uh, different methodology of getting a cast together
managed a successful career as a filmmaker in India and in the United Kingdom. What inspired you to become a filmmaker? And how has your experience been working across borders in terms of your craft, the themes that you choose, funding, and any other challenges that you face? And in particular, as a female filmmaker and also as a woman of color filmmaker. I've always been involved with film as a journalist at first because I started my career as a journalist, print journalist. I used to write about films. Then in the electronic media, I used to cover International Film Festival of India for 10 years or so for leading channels. And I used to write seriously about films. So never in my life did I, I mean, I probably always wanted to. So now you have a hint for uh, that man in the attic. Probably I always wanted to, but I never felt that I would become a filmmaker. It was like, I haven't studied filmmaking or it was like, oh, I'm a woman, I can't be a filmmaker or, um, oh, I'm too old, I can't be a filmmaker. Or, you know, all, all those kind of thoughts that you have in your head and, so, and you just get on with your life. But it was when I went to England in 2001, and after a couple of years there, I was looking around me, everybody was doing what they wanted to. I mean, I was coming from Kerala. I mean, I was coming from a small town, Trivandrum, and I lived there all my life. I mean, lived in Kerala, different parts of Kerala all my life, and then went to England and seeing everybody do what they like. And I remember having discussions with some of my friends who were artists and so on. And they, they would do things that I was like, that's not great. And my friends would talk, okay, it may not be great, but who has done this before? And I would think, oh, true, nobody has done that before. So you're doing that. So I had a different sense about creativity and creative output and so on. What you do, because we are sometimes very bothered about that. What you do doesn't have to be the greatest film in the world or the greatest work of art. What you have to do is arriving at some kind of truth with the material in front of you in whatever form you want to do and that you can do it that confidence i got from england really when i left my place that's when i really felt that i could become a filmmaker and i came back to kerala with a camera and, and that was you know to early 2000 for india was a year when the video camera was really making inroads and uh, i shot my first film woman with a video camera in 2003-2004. It came out in 2005. That was my first film. And it's kind of like a yoking together, you might say, of a, a Vertovian documentary and a Maya Deranesque psychodrama. So it's like yoking together of two opposites to understand my place, which is Kerala. So that's woman with a video camera. But even then, that was 2005. And it took me 13 years, because in 2018, I shot my feature fiction. It took me 13 years to come to feature fiction. And in between were many, many years of documentary, both in UK and in India. And I think what teaching in, in a university in UK and being in UK really gave me was this sense of the individual and your ability to do things which we don't kind of like foreground in Kerala. I mean, there's always a sense of other people and always a sense of too many people around you and too many opinions and not really getting on doing it. There's more of talking and more of thrashing and more of uh, agonizing and all, okay, which is good, which is good for a work of art. 
but sometimes you just have to get down and do it which was very very difficult for me here which for me being in uh, england really helped a lot that distance was very very important for me and and a milieu where everybody was just getting on and doing their thing was very important for me so i think i took a lot from here and there in finally being able to do my first feature length fiction film wonderful It's been such a great journey and I have my last question for you. What's your next project? Well, I mean you mentioned that in 2008 I got a development award for a script and that's still my passion project, a certain slant of light about three sisters from 1971 to 1991 period in Kerala. I don't know when I'll do it, but I still have that and from then from 2008 to 2018 while i was doing all my documentary work and working with ian on his documentaries i have written a few scripts so i was not like completely uh, you know saying goodbye to fiction i was writing scripts so i have a few scripts so i don't know which will take off or if ran kalyani has opened doors for me to get some funding for my next film if it has it will happen but there are a few scripts so something will work out on that very positive and hopeful note i thank you very much for being part of this conversation it's been brilliant thank you so much alka i mean it, it's really really important for uh, work of art to have a viewer a readership a viewership and critics who understand the work of art in a way that will help others to appreciate it better maybe or even question it if it is you know to be questioned that's also fine but it's very very important for artists to have that i mean the importance of a critic cannot be devalued at all very wow. very important and you're doing a great job thank you so much thank you so much it's really appreciated this was south asian films and books produced by alka korean the co-editor of this program is called dibdol